Hello, everybody, and welcome to the, I'm not really sure the number, episode of She Seems Cool. I've been recording these out of order, okay? I'm trying to do like a designer, customer, alternating thing, but I don't know. So anyways, exciting news. We've got Nikki Garcia here, designer of First Right, San Francisco-based. We are in San Francisco, but not in my apartment. We're in her beautiful home that is also her studio, and it smells like Palo Santo, and it's one. Th- Thanks you. for you. <laughs> Thank you. So welcome, Nikki. Thank you for Thank coming you on for to She me. Seems Cool. I'm very excited about this interview because I feel like every time we talk, when we see each other at the trade shows and stuff, I just want to keep going and going and going. But those days are madness. So now we have some alone time. We have our space. <laughs> exactly. I'd like to start with a little bit about Nikki herself, how she got where she is. Where did it all start? Where were you born? <laughs> We'll start from the beginning. Um, I was born in Portland, Oregon. Oh. That's where I grew up. And moved away um, when I was 18 for college. Went to the University of Montana in Missoula. And studied business marketing and management. And then also photography. And I just made that choice because like, in high school, I think I knew that I was interested in doing fashion design in some way. But that I just needed to like have that four-year college experience. Mm-hmm. I felt like if I went into a design school, an art school, maybe I would like miss out on something. And um, I'm so glad I made that choice because I was just young and wild and I think not ready to just go right into the thing that I wanted to do. Um, I can see Montana for you though because I don't know, like it's the color palette you pick for, for the line. I just associate you with earth. Ooh, I love it. And so, like, Montana I just do seems love like Earth, you I know? love the Earth. I love the outdoors. Yeah, Montana, I mean, Missoula is such a beautiful town. Just so, I mean, surrounded by, like, the most beautiful nature. Which, I mean, Oregon has that, too. Mm-hmm. From Montana, did you go, I feel like I could have seen you, like, in L.A. for a little bit. Or did you come straight to San Francisco? No, so I decided, I took off half a year and stayed in Missoula and just worked in a clothing store. I just loved Missoula and wasn't really ready to move on. But in the meantime, I was applying for um, design school at FITM. So I could have either chosen between L.A. and San Francisco. And L.A. is like their main campus. It's a little bigger. You can do the four-year program. But they actually have a program set up for people who already have a four-year degree Mm. and just want to like skip all the gen ed and do strictly fashion. So you just take the pattern making, the sketching, you know, marker making. Basically, the decision was L.A. or San Francisco. And I flew to L.A. thinking that that was where I was going to probably move. And like within one day was like, this is too different <laughs> yeah, this is not from Montana. Me. I am just not ready for LA. We had booked like a whole week. I was going to like look for apartments and tour the campus and do everything. And we toured the campus and then just turned the rest of the trip into a vacation. Because I was like, no, I don't think this is where I'm going to live. When you know, you know. Yeah. And so decided to go to the San Francisco campus and came and visited once and immediately was like, I really love this city. Mm-hmm. Um, and moved back to Portland just really briefly to stop over, refresh, and then came here to start school in October of 2007. Very nice. Yeah. That's also when I started college in San Francisco. Really? Yeah. Oh, we've both been here the same amount of time. Yeah, well, I lived away for a little bit. I grew up in Marin, but I moved away for a little bit to Philly. Like, I did SF State, and then I transferred and finished out, like, back east, and then I came back. A little bit, so I haven't been here the full eleven where, years. Where did you grow up? You grew up around here in Marin. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah. I grew up in Novato, so it's hard. You grow up in the Bay Area, and then you're like, "What's better?" <laughs> like, 
nothing. <laughs> yeah, it's pretty special here. I have to say, when I moved here, my intention was to go to school, stay the two years, and move back to Portland and start my line there. And after, I think, a year here, I was just totally sold. So how did you get into fashion design, or what were your fashion influences growing up? I, it's funny, recently I was going through boxes and of all of my childhood artwork and found like pages and pages of like crazy like costume designs that oh. I used to do, but it was like ballet dancer, like schoolgirl. So you used to draw like used lots to... of like figures and yeah. do the designs. That, but I don't know that I was necessarily thinking about it in terms of clothing, but I guess that's where it led. I think I was just, all, I mean, I was always very artistic as a kid, super into like making everything by hand and lots of art projects. Um, but then high school, I guess, is when I started to get into altering clothing, like just vintage clothing. I did mm -hmm. not know how to so much at all. It would be like buying something and making it smaller or changing the shape of it. Um, and that's when I started to, I think, really think about, you know, the future, maybe getting into fashion somehow, but wasn't, I wasn't really sure what direction I would go in or what that even meant. You didn't have your voice. I did not have had, my voice. You had to drive. No, I was a child, but um, yeah, which is why I think it's so great that I waited. Mm -hmm. I waited a few years to go into design school because by the time I got there, I felt so focused. I knew that that was what I wanted to do. I'd gotten like most of the wild streak out of it, you know. Oh, totally. But definitely when the line first launched, so I basically, we'll go back to school, back to the school days. So mm -hmm. when I started at FITM, I didn't know how to sew on an industrial machine. I didn't know anything about pattern making. I hardly knew anything about sewing. So that was, those were things that I picked up over the course of like two years. Because I knew that I wanted to start my own line, I think just paid the most attention to those construction classes because you know, if you're starting your own brand and you don't have money to start it with, you're not going to be able to pay other people to do things for you. Mm -hmm. So that was the situation I was in. I was like, I need to be able to make my own patterns. I need to be able to sew. I need to be able to understand the construction of these garments. Um, and then a lot of the other stuff, the fashion sketching and like the marker making, I feel like... What is marker making? So markers are basically when you create your pattern for your garment, you mm -hmm. have all the different pieces that you know, make up the dress or the pants and you digitize them. So basically you get them into a computer and then depending on the width of your fabric, so it's like a 55 oh, inch fabric. shows you like the puzzle pieces, how to yeah, get Yeah, so then you lay out, you take all those pattern pieces that you've digitized and you lay them out according to your width and you want to try to get them as close as possible using like as little fabric as possible. And then when they cut, for production, they use they print those out and use them oh. as like the patterns. Okay, yeah. So they'll maybe lay like a really big piece of paper on top of a fabric, and then you see them with the little rolly things cutting that out. Yeah. Oh, yes, yeah. So they'll lay it on top for. I mean, I use them for sometimes for my own sample making, where it's just a couple pieces. I'm cutting just a couple layers of fabric, but for mm -hmm. production, you know, it's like hundreds of layers of fabric in some cases, okay. and they just have these like huge cutters that like come down over the marker, so the marker can just be used for like oh, wow. everything to be cut at once. 
Yeah. So anyways, but those were the things that I knew I wasn't going to do. I don't yeah. have, it's like the, the marker software is like this enormous, like room size table to like digitize. So I really just focused on the things that I knew that I was going to need to start this business. So while I was in school, we would have, we would have quarters and in between each quarter, we'd have a couple weeks off and I would take that couple weeks and make my own patterns, sew my own ideas. Um, really, I was starting to formulate like the beginnings of starting a brand and it was kind of the perfect time because anything I had a question about or couldn't figure out on my own I could take it into like a workshop and have one of the teachers there help me with the pattern or answer questions so towards the end of school I actually started uh, making and selling clothes in like a couple of local stores and just kind of like getting a feel for how that works and mm-hmm. I feel like I was really bold then I would like walk into like whatever <laughs> store like you, you know in, in New York like the stores now I would never even think to like walk up to the counter and be like hi we have people I have a clothing line <laughs> but when you're I don't know I just didn't know that much so I'd walk in and be like hi I have a clothing line out of San Francisco like here's my like pictures of it which were still so amateur I've learned I don't I mean maybe you have better insight than me on this but I don't think that people like to be like cold called like that absolutely not yeah (laughs) I really don't I hate to be called on the phone I hate for someone to show up in the store I hate emails too people can email me but like not really now people are scared they're like people are like oh do I have send on this no I mean if you're gonna email us please email sales at shop and me not any other email address because then I get bogged down I have someone else who helps filter those for me because there's a lot of emails people want my money all day long <laughs> I, I have been I am that person to other people so yeah. I apologize to the world out there <laughs> asking for money but you gotta do that you know like when you're when you're younger and like have that can do attitude like I think now actually oh my god so this, the emails that I wrote to brands wanting to carry them when just like the store was like kind of gonna be in existence are so embarrassing <laughs> I have them saved. I'll never delete them because I want to like frame them someday. But like they, I cringe every time. Like I didn't know what a line sheet was. And then someone was like, do you want to see our line sheets? And then I was like, oh, line sheets are a thing. Next time say line sheets to someone. Like it was totally just a sponge situation. And I emailed like some big brands and was like, hi, what can I have right now? What can I buy right now? I didn't understand like seasons, ATS, like all that stuff. I was just like, hello, it's November. What can you sell me? You know, it's funny you say that because the term ATS, I actually wasn't familiar with. Like, I'm not even sure when I became familiar with it, but until like stores were emailing me asking for ATS and I was like, what is I think someone sent me a thing saying here's ATS and then I learned that ATS meant just went like I think it's available to ship. I don't yeah, I use the word immediate, so I guess it's immediate also. Immediate is more straightforward, you know, but ATS like people not so much I guess maybe the indie boutiques, but it feels like uh if you're at um what's that one that also goes on at the same time as market, but it's at the Javits Center. Coterie. Like, Coterie will be kind of like these bigger stores or just like these, like, family institution boutiques, like in New Jersey or in the South or something. And, like, those people are up on their lingo. And it's like, I mean, the net 30 is beginner stuff. Like, they got, like, all these different phrasing and things that they use. And I eavesdrop on, like, appointments a lot just because it's so interesting to me. And I'm just like, oh, what are these people doing? And uh, I didn't even understand. Yeah, I'm like, what the hell are these people saying? They're speaking a whole other language. Like, it's very, very complicated. And then when you start dealing with, like, overseas companies and, like, the shipping and all that stuff, I'm like, 
um, can we lay this out easier for me? You're not alone. I have Googled so many things that have been emailed to me in that context. <laughs> it's, you know, you just got to fake it till you make it, I yeah. guess. Okay, so you're, you're in school. You're taking time on the breaks to kind of hone your skills and to learn more things from the teachers and stuff. When does this line, like, it, are these things that you were selling to these stores so boldly, were they first right or were they something else? They what were, were the names of everything? They were first right. Okay. Um, that, I think first right started, not when I was in school. When I was in school, I'm not sure what I was calling it. Totem or I think I had like a couple, it would like rotate. It mm-hmm. wasn't like I had anything solid. Um, cause I just sold, like, I think I, I set up once at like a little indie fair that like doesn't even exist anymore. And it was just in a couple shops I was selling on consignment. It wasn't even like people were paying yeah. me up front, but once I finished school, so in the meantime, while I'm in school, I'm also working in a clothing store. Mm-hmm. So when I finished like shop girl status, I like was a guy. total shop girl. Yeah. Which actually I have to say, I, I was in retail for like five years when I was in school in Montana and then again when I was in school here and I have to say I pulled so much from working in shops when you're shipping to a store what it looks like when they've been received and what happens and Mm -hmm. the buying and all of it so that was actually a really great experience so I continued to work in the store and that was when First Right was born Mm -hmm. which was actually I think the first season was like spring 2012 okay but even then it was the look was really different. It mm-hmm. was edgier. I was doing a lot of black. I was doing a lot of like paneling and like sharp shoulders and short skirts. That exact time period was that phase for me as well. I had a lot of Alexander Wang. Was, I yeah, had, very I like Alexander when I had Wang my platinum inspired. blonde hair. Like, <laughs> see, and I so I'm so glad to hear you say that because when I look back and look at those photos, I'm like, oh god, I wish they disappear. Like, it was just the time. So I was selling it in the store I worked at, which was a pretty great store. It doesn't exist anymore. Did you tell customers that it was your stuff? No, I was super shy about (laughs) it. I would absolutely not. But other people would, and I would get kind of embarrassed. Not embarrassed, but like I just didn't want them to like feel they had to say anything either way about it. It doesn't fit me well or something. Like you're not going to run to the back. I'm like, oh god. (laughs) (laughs) So that was like 2012 was when I started, and. That was when I was doing like my first like lookbooks that felt kind of real and, you know, making two collections a year and starting to like email stores in New York and other parts of the country, which honestly, without Instagram, I'm not even really sure how I was finding those stores. Uh, yeah. I, I really can't. Like, Instagram is how I find like every freaking brand. Yeah. The, it was like total pre-Instagram world. It was like a totally different network, which I think at that time as a designer to get your work out there a lot of people were working with sales agents and reps Mm -hmm. and showrooms because Mm -hmm. they were the ones that had the connections to all the stores rather I mean I don't know this for sure but I I think at that time it was much harder to be an independent designer and connect because at that time I think I only I was posting photos onto like a blog spot Mm -hmm. and emailing them to like the small list of stores that I knew about and I think part of that was I had you know because I was working in a store the buyers that I worked with maybe had connections to other stores and you know reaching out to reps and being like is this the way that I should go should I have a sales rep but then the reps were like oh well we don't take on brands until they're doing like 
50k per season on their own yeah and you're like okay so it was like this weird gray area to be in and I also didn't have you know I didn't have money to be financing this line um just working in the clothing store that was my source of income so it was really I mean I continued to make collections for a couple of years but it was definitely this very small side project and I wanted it to be more but wasn't really sure how to get there financially how to get your foot in the door, how to make it happen. A couple of years, I can't, I'm trying to think when this happened. I started, I got an offer to work for a company here that mm-hmm. basically there was a company here. They were making all the clothes in China, but the design offices were here mm-hmm. and they wanted to start a U.S. made capsule of their collection. And the designer was already so busy with her main line. She was, you know, it was like a very nationally, internationally distributed brand that she just didn't have the energy or the time for it. So they brought me in, which I'm, I'm not even sure how they found me. They found me from like Refinery29 or something, like That's a write-up amazing. that they had done on one of those lookbooks. Refinery29 had a lot of power back in the day. I mean, they I don't really did. pay attention to it now, but that used to be like the one that I checked. Yeah, I agree. See, that, I think that was like how you got the word your like the word out about your brand. Yeah, you like, got some sort of good PR. You just media. had to get like some kind of press. Um, so anyways, they hired me and... I basically was managing this like small made in San Francisco line, which was a totally new thing for them, totally new for me as well, like working with factories and all of it. It didn't last long. The whole company decided to fold like within a year of me working there because I had kind of felt out like what it meant to work for like a larger company. I mean, this company was pretty small, actually, but it felt large to me. Yeah, it's larger than you. (laughs) It was larger than me. decided that maybe I could do some freelance for bigger companies. So ended up working for Levi's, freelancing with them for two years. And it felt like that time, like when would I have started there? 2014 maybe? But it felt like I was able to make a little more money working for a bigger company. I was able to, I got a studio that I was able to work out of. So basically, I mean, my time was so thin then. I was working full-time for Levi's. I would leave work. I would ride my bike out to Bayview, Mm -hmm. work in my studio till like 8 p.m., ride home, have dinner, go to bed, start it all over again. Like working on the weekends out at my studio, I was like not giving myself like a good work-life balance. But I really think working there showed, I mean, I think I learned a lot about the industry in general. I mean, working for a big company is so different from what I do in so many ways, but that's sort of when, it's also the introduction of Instagram, so I'm sure that yeah. that kind of helped, but I think I also just started to kind of hone in on what the brand should be, what I wanted the brand to be, how my creative process worked, how to manage my time. I really had to like, you know, everything had to be so organized and put together because my time was so thin, but so basically it was like, as I'm working at Levi's, realizing that like the brand might actually start to work. I'm like getting more exposure. Mm-hmm. Stores are starting to reach out. I feel like I jumped some big steps here of how I got from like one store to like, I mean, really, it was Instagram. Yeah. It really was. I was like still just continuing to like play with shapes and started to put the ideas up and maybe they weren't the cohesive collections. But yeah, it just started to get attention from stores. So I'd be like, sure, I can send you like five shirts and then it would be like sure I can send you 10 shirts and at this point I was still 
sewing everything myself. Oh, God. Cutting, sewing. How long would it take you to make a shirt? Like, because you're at Levi's, right? And so... I was doing very simple shirts, Mm -hmm. but probably more than an hour. I don't know. It was a lot of work, Mm -hmm. but I loved it. I loved that, like, hands-on. I was, like, washing the fabric myself, like, cutting it, sewing it, doing all the finishing, sewing the labels on, shipping it. So I've, like, really learned what it means to do every single thing myself and then how good it feels to be able to hand it off. I always say First Right was launched in 2015, spring 2015, because that's when I feel like all the pieces finally came together and I found this like cohesive idea of where I wanted the brand to go. It was the first season that I went to a trade show. Um, No, no, no. It was not the first season I went to a trade show. It was the first season though that I set up in New York. Mm -hmm. So I was still at a point where I didn't think that I could afford to do trade shows and wasn't really sure how that was going to work. So would go to New York during market Ballpark? week. Ballpark? Like, how much do they cost? Like, a couple thousand is my assumption? Uh, that's, like, low end. <laughs> that's, like, Oof. if they're hooking you up with a deal. Ouch. It's, like, 2,000 to, like, 6,000 to... I mean, more. If you're yeah. a big brand, much more. You know, looking at all of those expenses where I'm still at this very small level where I'm, like, selling a few pieces to, like, a handful of stores... But realizing that people are starting to reach out and that the only way that it's going to expand is if I go to Market Week and I'm there when all the buyers are there and they're able to come look at Mm -hmm. it. Yeah, you got to see this stuff. So I would rent Airbnbs. I did this for two seasons, just like in Soho, like tried to pick areas where other showrooms were nearby. That's so smart. Yeah. I mean, that's what everyone's doing now. I know a lot. Exactly. It's like where it's gone anyways. (laughs) So then those two seasons, like, you know, started to pick up more accounts and then starting to realize like, okay, this isn't, I can't do the sewing for this anymore. So then moving into factories, it all, it happened very slowly and organically. And I have to say, I'm so glad that it happened that way because I feel like I never got in over my head. Like, I never got in over my head financially. I never got in over my head with my time. Like, it just felt... I mean, I'm not going to say it was It was very hard. It was yeah, not easy. And there easy, was a but... lot of stress. But it just felt like every season it grew at a point that was really manageable. So then my first season where I was actually able to do a trade show was Spring 16. And Capsule was the first show that I ever that did. That was the, the collection where you had, like, um, the blue linen, like, pants. Okay, that was the first it, season I had you. Yeah. That, that was, was the first season a lot of people had me. It was, like, a huge jump for my business. Mm-hmm. But, yeah, it just took, like, going to that trade show. And this I was think. at Basketball City, yeah? No, it wasn't Basketball City. It was it was at Pier, Pier 94. Okay. Yeah. I missed all the smaller ones. was my ones. first capsule, and it's so weird to, like, think back at what it was, and then, I mean, now it's kind of meh. Does it even... No, it does still exist, but it they does, sold it. It does, because they sold it to Liberties, and so now yeah. it's kind of more corporate, and, I mean, it, they're letting a lot of people in that they wouldn't have before, you know? So. Which, but I even started... I mean, when I was doing... You broke off from it from a while ago. Like, yeah. Like, everyone did an exodus. I'm trying to think. I showed with them for four seasons no three seasons and it felt like in the beginning you know you'd be in this area that was very curated it was all independent designers or not all independent designers there was a lot of bigger companies too but it was all designers that you would be in a store with Mm -hmm. it felt curated 
it was a really it felt like there was community and the the show was much bigger but I felt like they had it separated a little better yeah um, it used to take me a whole day to go through it and I would literally just go to New York go to Capsule maybe Woman at the time because I was like oh that's a little expensive for me and Capsule was it which and, Woman launched like right around then it's a newer show yeah the last season I showed at Capsule I felt like it had just changed so much. Like they got oh, yeah. and really then you big. Went to woman. And then I went to Woman for yeah. one season. Yeah, Woman is a more expensive show than Capsule, but mm-hmm. it is a very beautiful show. Mm-hmm. And then after that, although if you go at a wrong time of the day, the sun is blaring in your eyes, and so you're trying to look at the racks, and you really can't see anything. Um, and when you are the designer that's sitting in that ray of sun, <laughs> and you're being blinded for that like two and a half hour window, because that was me. Yeah, yeah there's like that whole wall of windows that yeah. you're like oh, every the picture I took so of this one line is like so washed out, terrible. Oh, I was no. like, okay, maybe I just want to order them. I don't remember what it was. Oh no, see, and that's like the whole, that's like horrible <laughs> for that brand. Right? And they don't even probably know that. Yeah. But yeah, it seems like the like trade shows, like it used to be, it felt like you had to do a trade show. You had to do a trade show to get buyers to come look at your collection. Or you at least had to be in New York. Even when I was setting up in those Airbnbs, I was getting, you know, a good amount of buyers to come by, but there would always be the people that wanted to come by and missed out because their schedules were so busy. They were like, we want to come see it, but we just like can't fit this extra stop just to see you mm-hmm. into our schedule. And I missed a lot this year because I had to go and leave for a wedding and it was like, oh crap, yeah, everything. I, I know, I saw here. you for like five minutes <laughs> as what I was, was like packing up. What was so great was actually the showroom had like two large doors and we walked up, Sierra and I, who now lives in New York because she used to work at the store and she helped me that day and we walked up to the first door which was locked and so we assumed they like locked the doors so we were like knocking, like waving and everyone was just ignoring oh, us. Oh, and it was the other doors and yeah it's finally someone was like the door's right here <laughs> and I was like oh okay <laughs> you weren't the only person to do that thank you <laughs> I think the girls up front maybe were just like sick of like going around and opening it for people because they had to do it because we're like times. looking at most people are packing up so like it's not my appointment you know like yeah. they don't care <laughs> yeah but I was like what the hell is going on so yeah that does it really does seem like especially this past season so I've been with these like designer run smaller trade shows now for that was my third season right yeah third season and it feels like more and more people are doing that like Mm -hmm. I really only knew of the network of designers that I know a handful of people that were doing the trade shows still Mm -hmm. everybody wants to be part of these smaller Mm -hmm. group shows just because they're more intimate they're more curated it's like there's not crazy music blaring in your ears and fluorescent lights like you kind of get to set the mood and the only thing that's hard about them is you've got to do an appointment time. And I like to just being like, yeah. I'll see you at Capsule. Like, when yeah. I see you, I'll I see don't, you. I agree with you. I don't think it's easier I wish it was for like, buyers. I wish it was a little bit more, like, casual of, like, drop-in. But I totally get why. No, you want appointments. Like, you want to put people on the well, books, have a commitment. I have to say, and... like, of all the appointments. Does anyone even keep their appointments? No, nobody keeps the appointments. I, I do. I maybe re- you, no, I maybe reschedule really day of. Like, ooh, can we move it back 15 minutes? But I try to show up. I feel like you're always like there when you say you're going to be there. And I mean, it doesn't bother me that much, I have to say. If people... I understand things get a little crazy in New York. I just like to know what day people are coming, at right. least. Because... Don't tell me this because I'll get Well, lazy. no, it's fine. There, <laughs> I bet it, there are like a certain amount of stores that like want to come at a specific time and yeah. always keep to their schedule. This show, for some reason, everybody wanted to come on the first day. 
And it was just, there wasn't time to see everyone. I like the direction that Market Week has gone in, and which I know makes it harder for buyers because you're not, you guys have to go all over the place. The intention is if we get enough designers together, then for the buyers can come and spend like half their day there. Mm-hmm. You know, they can do a, a lot of appointments at once, which, at once, which is why, you know, you want to try to curate those shows well. Mm-hmm. So from the designer's perspective, what is the trade show experience? Really, it feels like, it's like a whole month that so basically before market week you're like scrambling to finish your collection like things never I shouldn't say never but in most cases don't happen on time and according to schedule so you're like scrambling to get samples finished and back from the wash house back from the dye house to get them photographed to get the photos edited to get all the materials put together to get everything emailed out to all your accounts and on top of you know maintaining that relationship with the stores you work with, which is a lot of work already, reaching out to new stores, trying to share your materials, trying to get people to come by. So by the time I'm like traveling to New York, there's already been so much work that leads up to it. And then the days feel very long. But Do you travel with your samples or do you send them ahead? I travel. I have always checked my samples, which every time designers hear that, they're like, I can't believe you do that. Cause a lot of, most people ship them. So I just think it's easier to bring them with me. Mm-hmm. And then like when you go to a trade show, you basically just show up with your clothes. Mm-hmm. Everything's like, okay, good. They've got the racks. The and racks stuff, are right? there for you. Like the hangers are there for you if you've rented them. But when we, because we did this show ourselves, it adds a lot more work. So we had to like deal with all the rental companies. Yeah rent everything, get it set up, get everybody spaced out correctly. And of course, like this season, everything was like two hours late. Mm -hmm. The delivery companies just totally dropped the ball. I always feel like market week takes a lot of energy out of you. I'm drained. Yeah, it's very draining. But then I think about it from your end. Like I am like sitting in my booth. People are coming to me. I'm having, I'm like catching up with, you know, all the different buyers, which is actually really lovely. I, I really do. Um, love catching up with everybody and having that face-to-face time but you know it is a lot of like you're having the same conversation about the same clothes like over and over and over again but really I'm just in that one little like 10 by 10 space yeah you guys are like the ones getting in cars and going like from place to place and all over the place yeah I mean but it's also like invigorating at the same time you know so I feel like I could maybe get bored if I was sitting in the same spot but, yeah you know if you, like I like the amazing race so I kind of pretend <laughs> it's like a mix between the amazing race and like watching like America's Next Top Model and like going on a go see like I've got appointments all over the city I better get there yeah <laughs> I try to make it like a game in my head like well you get to, you get to fun. switch it up I guess it does. my brain definitely gets drained of just like looking at things like I'm tired of looking at stuff and then I'm like well I'm in New York I should go shopping I'm like no I've been shopping all day yeah, I feel like every trip to New York is different. There's some trips where I have so much energy and I'm like, every designer is in New York for these few days, every store buyer. So it's like your opportunity to like hang out with everyone. Mm-hmm. But it's also you have been talking to people all day. And by the end of it, sometimes you're just like, I can't make words anymore. Mm-hmm. And that's how I really felt actually this last trip. I was just like so much more drained than normal. So now that you're in some larger stores and you're still in some smaller stores, what is it like dealing with, I guess, the larger companies versus really tiny indie boutiques? Is there like a marked difference between them? Like I'm very... Honestly, there really is Because I've talked to some 
people apparently big companies like don't pay their bills um that <laughs> seems to be the consensus but i feel like everyone i've talked to is like big companies don't pay their bills yep. and then they'll reorder and be like yeah, yeah we'll pay you for that later <laughs> and you're like but you want more now? i mean so i don't work with any really big companies mm-hmm. any like chains really and i have been approached by some national chains about carrying the collection but it really is like those stories that I hear about designers who are like, oh my God, this company reached out for like 35 stores. They want to place this enormous order. They don't want to put a deposit down, but like they'll pay me when they, you know, when it's like, done. Mm-hmm. But that is a really scary place to put your business. So basically like the, I would say that all of the stores I work with right now, I would still, even though, you know, they all range in size. Some are much bigger stores. Speaking of which, some I have a check small. for you for my deposit. <laughs> <laughs> I have it in my bag. Thank you. <laughs> um, I, it really feels like most, uh, really actually all the stores I work with right now, for the most part, work the same way. Mm-hmm. It does. It doesn't seem like I'm balancing this like big store versus small store thing. So they all have a frazzled owner buyer who is <laughs> out of time saying, yeah, 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 I'll mail the check. Is this you? <laughs> yeah, I'm really bad with stamps. I have never seen... Well, you're local, you so I feel like I always... Person. Yeah, I can always drop it off with you. Always, like, I drop off, and like when you drop off is when I can give you a check or give you a deposit, so like we got it easy, but... Yeah, I mean, I mean I'm there's... I'm very bad at remembering to mail check. Not like I don't pay people, but just like, if you give me like a, like a QuickBooks thing where I can do that ACH transfer... Boom, baby. Yeah, but that's something check. I've like picked up on in the past couple seasons because mm-hmm. it's so much easier. I mean, I would say that, it, yeah, it's like I've had big stores that like, you know, every, I think every store in every city has its different thing going on Do you get like more demand? Season. So like I had some people I know that like got picked up by Nordstrom and then they were like, oh, but we were, we had to purchase the hangers that Nordstrom wanted the stuff on and purchase the clear plastic that the items needed to be delivered in from their supplier in advance, pack everything, pack it to a certain standard that they want, tag it a certain way. We have to pay and purchase the labels that they will tag it on in the store and have them customize with their like skews and all that stuff on it and like pre-tag it, give it to them and deliver it. It's like if you go to anthropology, they'll make you like pre-label the cards that you send them and stuff. Like the big stores seem to like put a lot of demands on you. They do. That's what I've heard as well. And I have never worked with any of them. Um, because the two larger stores like that that have reached out to me, I've just said no to. Both mm-hmm. for the fact that I'm not sure it really fits my brand to be in a big store like that. Also because, um, like you said, it's very nerve-wracking. These stores, you hear so many stories about them not paying. And that can even, that can ruin yeah, that could kill a small you. business. Um, but also just, I mean, because I'm working with all these independent stores, like, I don't think it's the best thing for to position yourself as this independent brand that works with all these smaller Mm -hmm. stores and then to be also selling in these bigger chain stores. Mm -hmm. It just doesn't feel for me, for my brand, at least that both of those things make sense, but it's like a double-edged sword as a retailer because you're really happy for the brand for like getting big. And then you're like, Oh man, you're in shop up now. Like no one's going to buy it from me online. They can buy it from shop. Yeah. But Um, how many stores is the line in now? Uh, this season it's like, on like just under 40 it's kind of like fluctuated around that 40 number there's like stores that like come on for a season and come off and stores that are i mean this seems like 
I, I don't know. For the most part, it seems like most stores are doing really well still and continuing to order regularly and paying their bills. But it's like every season there's some store that surprises me that can't accept their order and can't pay. Mm-hmm. So it feels like more business maybe, I don't know, business is going online. Everybody's yeah, going online, so trying to find things cheaper, trying to find the sites that will ship for free. It's tough, yeah. It's tough. Because it's now with Instagram, too. It's like you can see and you can see when everyone's having sales. And there's some stores that, like, are constantly having sales. Or if they're not having a sale, someone else is having a sale. And so it's like you kind of train your customer, too. And so I try not to do, like, just, like, sales all the time because then there's always that expectation just to wait for them kind of thing. Um, Because, you know, deep down I'm like, no, like, support the small business. Support the designer. Like, isn't this all fun, symbiotic relationship? And sometimes there's sales and, you know. I agree. And I think that there is... There are a lot of people that feel that way, and I think more and more people like joining on with that idea every day. But it's hard. It's hard. When you have bills to pay, you're like, let's let's do that sale. (laughs) And I also recognize that you know my clothes are expensive. They're not. Not everybody can afford them. Not everybody wants to like build their wardrobe around clothes that are priced between. I mean, I think my it's like two twenty to like three thirty. Um. So I get it. I get why people are like waiting for sales or looking for like ways to save money. But I really think like if all, you know, we really want to have all these different stores open. Like Mm -hmm. it's so sad to think of like everything just being online in the future and us all being so disconnected because I know there's so much community that surrounds a lot of these stores. Mm -hmm. And it seems like every season, like adding a handful of stores, like increasing the distribution, which now I'm like getting to a point where stores are reaching out and I'm having to say no mm-hmm. because you know it's like well you're in this town that's smaller and like I can't be in two stores there or like oh you're only a mile from this store mm-hmm. so lots of like distribution issues um good problems though which is a good end. problem to have <laughs> yeah it is awkward I mean, but good yeah but it feels like the business is at a really good manageable level for me where I was saying before when I was working a full-time job and doing this I was able to quit that job. It's been three years now that I've been doing the line full time. That's awesome. And just my work-life balance is so good. I mean, the fact that it's like you walk 10 feet in your studio and then you're out, like, oh. Which I have to say, I, so I moved, I moved the uh, studio back into my house. Mm, must have been, yeah, it was three years ago when I took it. No, I was in the studio still for a year. It's been full time. It's been in the house for two years. And I was a little nervous to give up my studio, but the space just, like, wasn't working anymore. It had kind of been slow. It was a wood shop, like, in the main space and then, like, studios in the back. And, like, slowly all the studios started to get filled by woodworkers. It just felt like it wasn't a place that I could really work anymore and keep Mm -hmm. things clean. So when I decided to move it in the house, I was nervous. I was like, ooh, I'm going to get, like, cabin fever. Like, this is going to drive me crazy. But I have actually loved it. It's worked really well for me. I feel super productive and because it's also like a separate space, Mm -hmm. it's like you have to go down a hallway and I definitely still, I mean, any small business owner is going to be like checking emails all the time, but I do feel like I'm really good about separating myself and like taking time for myself a lot. I do take a lot of time for myself and I'm, so that's why I'm like where the business is at now. I definitely think I have a lot of room to grow. There's Mm -hmm. like, you know. It's definitely still like a mid-level business, but I'm like pretty content with where I'm at. 
That's amazing. Yeah. It's the place to be. It's a good place to be. <laughs> yeah. My goal is to move the studio out again. Like oh, okay. move out by like January. And to have a place that you have other people at as well. Yeah. And get like a team going. Yeah. Because right now it's just me managing all the San Francisco operations. I have my production team in LA that is super helpful and I don't have to go down there that often. Mm-hmm. We've like gotten into a good flow where we understand the way that we work and you know they'll accept my shipments and check things for me and run fabric and you know pieces back and forth between the dye houses and back to the cutter and I mean if I was living in LA those are things I would have to do I'd have Mm -hmm. to go pick it up drive it to the dye house drive it back to them drive it to the cutter drive it back to them but because I'm here I think it's just they like do more favors for me, which is really great. I'm sure I pay more for it as well. But I've found that really good working relationship where I feel like the production is mostly in a good place and I can really just focus on everything here. Mm -hmm. But definitely it's like getting to a point, especially like the managing of shipping, like when I'm shipping my two seasons, like having that all arrive this season here was crazy. I mean, I remember you, I think there was a picture you showed of like just boxes upon boxes. It was upon boxes. crazy. It was my, so this fall. Because the sweaters take up so much space. They take space. up so much space, but on top of that, it was also my biggest season ever. Mm-hmm. So It was a great season. It was a great season. It's been a great season, but just like I was living in like, an apartment of boxes and Mm -hmm. still am. I mean, my studio, there's like some boxes that have carried over into this office room I have over here and into my boyfriend has a room that is like just like a couch and all of his records, his record room. Mm -hmm. And like some has spilled into there, but like there was a couple weeks where it was like the entire living room, the entire kitchen, the entire office, the entire hallway, like my boyfriend calls that encroachment. He, he goes, you're encroaching. You're it was encroaching. major encroachment, and he was so patient and helpful. Um, and now everything is, like, just in the studio, and there's a couple boxes in the office as well, but I just can't do that again. <laughs> it's, like, gotten to a point where I'm like, this isn't, this isn't going to work anymore, the yeah. shipping part of it. And also, I think I am just ready to have, I mean, it will be great to, like, have more space in the apartment. Those doors open up, and then we'll have, like, a double-wide living room. Mm-hmm. And just also, I mean, I I really want to keep the studio in the neighborhood if possible. But as you know, yeah. spaces <laughs> in the city yeah. are few and far between right now for people who aren't tech workers. So mm-hmm. um, it's a breather room now. It's tough. So let's step back a little bit because I want to talk about production and design. I start to think about seasons. Like while I was designing Spring 19, I think there was even some formulation already happening about fall 19. So Mm -hmm. just collecting imagery I see online and starting to put boards together on Pinterest and color, you know, color that I see everywhere. And the past couple of years, the trips I would say have directly inspired a season more so I think for color and mood Mm -hmm. than shape. But, um, you know, like last year, we were in Oaxaca and the colors there were just so beautiful. And that I took a lot of photos and that carried like directly into my spring 17 season. And then this year we were in Morocco Mm -hmm. and same thing. It was like all the photos I took and just everything I saw and collected carried directly in to my spring 19 collection. So 
Yeah, I would say travel is a big part of that, both in just like clearing my headspace, stepping away, like seeing a new place, experiencing a new place, getting some perspective, but also just like taking in all the colors and the hues and the culture. And um, it also really helps shape the story that I want to tell that season, mm -hmm. you know, based around the, the imagery and the lookbook and everything that we're going to build that everyone sees. The lookbooks are always very good. We have a lot of fun with the lookbooks. For me, I there was a couple, like early on I was shooting just in the studio because it really is like half the work. It's so much easier. Mm -hmm. And you get beautiful. I mean, you can, you have that control to like get the images you want of the clothing. But I've been working with the same photographer, Maria Del Rio, for the plug, plug, <laughs> plug. Um, hire her we've just worked <laughs> not when Nikki our, needs her to be working yeah, not when I need her but yes yeah, she is wonderful to work with and we just did our ninth lookbook together so this next one will be number 10 mm. um but we just have had so much fun like we really collaborate like we really do think about places together and um think about the model together and but yeah the inspiration part really is just it's like a constant story going, you know? Mm -hmm. So for fall, I mean, the it's usually more the spring collection that is more inspired by that trip. And fall, I think I always just tend to go a little more structural, functional pieces. Um, I bring in more of those like masculine feeling pieces, like yeah. the workwear sets and Yeah, I want you to big never stop sweaters. making the work jacket. Yeah, the work it's... jacket will be back in a new fabric next season I'm excited about and how do you then turn that inspiration and creativity into the concrete tangible samples and fabric choices there are fabric trade shows that happen in LA and New York are the big ones um, New York the timing is always off for me it's always like a couple weeks before market so it doesn't make sense to make that trip twice but the LA one I've been to many times and the reason I haven't actually been going the past couple of years because I feel like once you're there and you establish those relationships and those connections, you kind of don't need to go and look at everything every single time because often it doesn't change. You know, going to all those fabric shows in the beginning was a really good start just to make contacts and then... Yeah, I guess if you're ordering like a twill every season from the same people, yeah. you know, it's going to be good. Well, and I, I've gotten also to a point where... I kind of have these core fabrics in my collection mm -hmm. that I carry through as many seasons as I can because I just feel like it's easier for me. I'm familiar with the fabric. The dye house is familiar with the fabric. The production team is familiar with the fabric. The buyers are familiar with it. So I'll try to run as fabric, a fabric for as long as I can. And when I feel like it's run its course is when I'll usually try to switch it up. But I don't, I mean, I try to keep the fabrics pretty simple. I'll do like three usually like two core fabrics maybe one novelty but the sweaters have been like such a fun addition that I feel like it adds in all that texture now mm -hmm. so when I'm in New York I'll usually go to a couple of fabric appointments just like you know for, at the showroom just to see what's new but for the most part people will mail fabrics you, you can just if you have an idea of what you're looking for or you know that rep has become familiar with your brand and what you buy they'll just start to send you samples so mm -hmm. That's something that I'll start to sort of collect like a few months before the season. Mm -hmm. And the fabric and the color kind of come together at the same time. Mm -hmm. Like just laying out what's going to work and 
It's so, I have such a hard time finding fabrics in the colors that I want. Mm -hmm. So I'm basically dyeing my colors every single season, mm. which adds a big complication to the, the process. the corduroy dyed? The corduroy was not dyed. Okay. Yeah, those, I, the black was dyed. Oh, okay. Um, but all the other colors I was able to find. Mm -hmm. But that was... Yeah, that's like the first time in many seasons that I've like ordered stock colors. So I do all the patterns myself and I've gotten to a point where I have so many good blocks that it's very rare that I need to like make a new pattern from scratch. It's often, you know, my collections definitely are, you know, I like to run the same style like over and over until it's sort of run its course. Mm -hmm. Season to season, it's very cohesive. Like it's yeah. not like this whole new vision every time. Yeah, I don't feel like I need to like redesign everything every single season. It's like there's a shape that did so well last season and people aren't done with it. So I'll offer it in some new colors. Um, or when I feel like, oh, all right, I've done that a couple of seasons, but like the shape, the block is good. The shape is good. Like how can I tweak it? So in the beginning, I mean, I, ha I had to make all the patterns from scratch and that was a lot of work, but now I feel like because I have all these blocks to build off of, the pattern making part has gotten a little bit easier. But yeah, I do all my own patterns. Mm -hmm. um, I do all my own fittings. I do all the like initial, like rough samples myself. And then when it gets to a point of final samples for sales, then I do all the cutting myself and then bring them to my sample sewer wow. here in San Francisco, yeah. Cool. So you're still hands in in production. I'm very in the hands in process. Yes. Oh, that's so fun. Yeah, and then my I think most most people are probably having their samples done in the factory that that is making their clothing, and that makes total sense because then it's a more seamless transition from, all right, you did the sample, and now you're going to yeah. do the production. But for me, it just feels more complicated to have one more thing done in LA especially at the sample stage because it's a point where you're still maybe wanting to tweak things and eliminate things so to keep it here just feels tighter for me while I'm doing all that development so how did you find a factory to partner with it's not something you can just like, oh google. the factory you can google but I'm always the, the the factories that come up I mean I have definitely googled you're like what are these places <laughs> so I originally I mean, there are factories in San Francisco, and I know a lot of people who work with them and have some really great quality pieces come out of them. Um, so that was where I started. I did work with one factory here, like on a very small little run of dresses that I did. Um, but I felt like it was at a point where, I don't know, it felt to me like the factories in San Francisco were a little more competitive. Yeah. Like they didn't need my work. You know, there's some pretty big companies out of San Francisco with big volume. So when I was approaching them at this smaller stage, it felt like they were giving me these crazy lead times. And like the one time I worked with them, it was like they made like 15 dresses for me and it took them like a crazy amount of time. Like they just weren't prioritizing my work. And yeah. also like I felt like I couldn't find a factory here that did everything in house the cutting and the sewing and the packing. Like they were like, oh, well, you'd bring it to this cutter we would just do the sewing here. So I just felt like I couldn't find the factory that felt right here, even though it would be so much easier to have everything done here. So I decided to start looking in LA and I can't remember how I found the first factory. Oh, it was through a friend who actually, her line is based out of New York. 
but she had traveled to LA because LA is like a huge production hub and it's where, I mean, it's like tons of dye houses, wash houses, factories. And so she referred me to a factory and I was with them for a couple of seasons and it was good and then it was bad and then I switched to another factory also referred to by a friend and like that one didn't wasn't really a good fit either and then I switched again <laughs> this was like a crazy process to get where I am and it was like this father's son who like promised me the world and like did not deliver <laughs> did not deliver it was horrible it was a really bad season and there was like so much inconsistency and issues and every it was just like one of those seasons where I was like this could ruin me it was like really a bad thing and then another friend referred me to who the 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 people that I currently work with who it's a husband and wife that run it and um they're lovely I've been with them for a few seasons now and it just like Everything feels so smooth. And I mean, we've had like some issues here and there. I think that will always be the case with production. Production is so hard because there are so many people involved and so many places where things can go wrong. Um, Mostly in the washing and dyeing, I would say, is like, Mm -hmm. because a lot of times. Especially if you're going after a very particular color. Yeah. And I mean, sometimes things can't be redone because. You know, maybe it's dark, and I don't know. There's, I have had so many nightmares with with the dye houses, but I just keep dying because I just love picking my own colors. So the factory thing is, I would say, one of the hardest parts about this business is finding the right partnership because, like you said, you can't just Google and find like a whole list of of factories. Like I really every single factory that I worked with. And that was all over, like, the course of, like, two years. It was, like, switching and switching and Every switching. Season. Oh, God. I, there are some personalities out there in this <laughs> business. But every single factory that I found, I was referred to by someone else in this industry. Mm-hmm. But then it also kind of becomes this, like, protected relationship. Because now Absolutely. I'm in this factory that is really great. Things go are going really smoothly. We've gotten to a good place. They're, like, managing a lot for me. And... Other people want to know who I work with. I mean, the reality of it is I would love to help people out and hook them up with this contact, but like it would be shooting myself in the foot because we're still so close to the deadline every time. Mm -hmm. Like every time I'm like, is this going to be done on time? Like, so you really do have to kind of protect your assets. Absolutely. And, And how did you find the women that you partner with in Peru? So I found them through um, a friend in New York who was working for an agency that basically, they don't exist anymore, but it, um, it was like half showroom and then half development agency where you could approach them and know nothing about this industry and be like, I want to make a clothing line and like, mm-hmm. here's the ideas I have. Will you manage it for me, basically? So they would do everything for you and you would pay them and like your name would be on the line. So they had all these contacts and she just passed along a sweater contact that they really liked working with and they knew she you know she knew they were doing really high quality stuff and that they were good to their workers and it was just a good company and the factories that I came across in LA that were doing sweaters were more expensive, harder to get in with, like I could hardly get them to communicate with me. 
I don't know, less organized maybe. And in Peru, knitwear is such a big part of, I mean, what they do there. It's like, all you know, the yarn's all being sourced there. The farmers are all there. There's tons of knitwear factories in Peru and like whole shows devoted, trade shows devoted to knitwear and sellers and buyers. So I decided to go for it. And it's, I mean, I've never been there. I've never met them. But it is like one of the easiest working relationships. It is like we do everything through email and through the mail. And for how little I knew about designing sweaters, I feel like it's gone really smoothly. Like they help out a lot with helping me to just wrap my head around the vocabulary of designing sweaters. And I've learned a lot just doing it with them. But yeah, it's um, it's been a fun part of what I do. I actually really, because I'm so hands-on with everything that's happening here in the wovens, it's really nice to have that part feel like I can send it off. I mean, I have to be very detailed. I have to put together like very detailed spec sheets with measurements and colors and, you know, lots of samples go back and forth and we make edits and get everything right. But it does feel like the easier side of what I do. Mm-hmm. That's like, oh, that's happening over there and I can focus on what's happening here. And you touched on dyeing a little bit. So the dyeing that gets done, for instance, like the work jackets and your cargo trouser. Like... So that's all happening in LA. Okay. There's two ways. Well, there's actually, I mean, there's so many processes in dyeing, but there's two ways that I work with dyeing, which you can either piece dye, which is where they dye just the fabric on the rolls and then the factory will cut it and sew it and it's already in that color and that is like it's more expensive than garment dyeing but it's smoother because there's going to be less issues but then things like the work jacket and the cargo trouser those fabrics really are intended to be garment dyed and you just get with the garment dye you get that different technique um, on the garment where you you know you can see on the seams like the dye variation it looks like it's been washed it looks mm-hmm. like it's been worn so for those pieces we just started garment dyeing them last season which was a learning experience I had to switch dioses in the middle of it no oh. <laughs> well it's a it's a diehouse I've been working with for years and the samples came out beautiful and you know, I was like, all right, this is going to work. But when they did the production, it was like 30% of the pants that I dyed for spring. In the Adobe color, right? The Adobe yeah. color. You probably remember the email. I couldn't ship because they were covered in streaks and uneven dye splotches. Did you and ever end up getting them like fixed somehow? No. no. I tried to work with a dye house here to fix them. And the dye house was like, nobody wants to fix someone else's mistake. Like, you can dye these black. Like, that's mm-hmm. really the only way this is going to be covered up. But I was like, but the zippers are Adobe. Like, it's just not going to work. Limited edition. So I ended Adobe up selling zippers. them all at West Coast Craft for half off and sold every single pair, oh, which perfect. was great. Um, but then was referred to another dye house by somebody who does a lot of garment dye. And so for this season, same fabric, same technique, was so nervous how it was going to come out and have had, like, no issues so okay. I think I've just had to like with dye houses you have to kind of learn who can do what it's like one dye house probably isn't going to be able to handle every single project you do because there's all the different techniques every fabric is different each dye house is like using a different temperature or a different chemical or a different level of dye like things can just be so different so still learning 
definitely who's best to work with on that side. But yeah, it's like fun to play with different techniques. So like for spring 19, now I'm doing all of the um, 100% linen washdowns. So it's it's already indigo dyed. It comes like very stiff, very dark blue, gets all over your hands, <laughs> but then you can wash it down to like whatever shade of blue that you want. So mm. that's like something new that I'm introducing for this spring. So where is First Right going? I mean, we know it's going up, 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 and it's growing. That's a great question. I mean, I guess just kind of thinking back about what I was saying about my work-life balance, um, I really value that. And I want, I definitely feel like there is a lot of room for the brand to grow and, um, you know, continue to grow in a way where I'm still able to have that balance. But I think it's just going to be, I'm going to have to let, people in I'm gonna have to hire people and hand things off which it's frightening it's it's just I have this mentality of like well I've like I've been doing it myself for this long and I'm able to do it myself and I don't feel overwhelmed most of the time um like why do I need to hire somebody to manage my wholesale accounts why do I need to hire someone to do that but I also think that if I continue to think that way, that it's not going to leave room for growth and mm. I'm just not seeing it. Yeah. I really think the more I'm able to hand work off and hand off the things that don't require my creative energy, it's going to open up more space for growth and new ideas. And so I really think that will be like moving the workspace back out of the house again. So beginning of next year, hopefully. Um, bringing on a couple people to help part-time and then kind of seeing where it can go. But yeah, it's hard. I mean, you it's hard to say what the future of First Right looks like. Like even, even saying like, I want it to grow. I want it to be in more stores. But really that's just increasing like the distribution. Mm-hmm. You're not like, like going down the route like, I'm going to make shoes, belts, leathers, yeah. bags. I feel like sweaters were like a fun thing to add that I still maybe have a lot of room to grow within that area. I need to, I need to go to Peru. That's definitely like a next step. But yeah, I don't see myself moving into other categories. Mm -hmm. Like I don't think I'll, I I feel like there's so much already to work with, with clothing that I can't imagine being like, I'm doing shoes now. I'm doing hats. I'm doing accessories. I don't know. I also like I would love to have the space to do like more pop ups and more sample sales and like more direct sale type events. Like I love doing West Coast Craft. That to me is like so much fun. It is so draining. It is like the craziest social overload weekend. But like I love that experience of like selling directly to my customers face to face and like meeting them and hearing their feedback and just moving through volume feels good too. And there's like short windows. <laughs> Turn things over feels great. Yeah. So just like the ability to do more of that, like in the next year would be great. I like always, you know, like walking down Valencia, I'm like, there are so many open storefronts that people just like can't afford to put their businesses into and these mm-hmm. landlords are like I'm gonna keep the rent high and just like wait for the right thing yeah. so it's it's like really hard to think in that direction and be like oh maybe I'd like have a store someday like it just that to me feels so hard in this so city and it is so much work <laughs> yeah and then you, then there's a place that you're tied to in some way every yeah. day between business hours well I'm very excited to see where first right goes season by season in New York visiting you on time at my scheduled appointments. <laughs> 
So Nikki, thank you so much for chatting with me. I feel like we're going to have to do this again because we have some sleuthing stuff that we didn't even like talk about that we've talked oh, about in the past. My gosh. To sum it up, Nikki does have my favorite catching a fraudster story of seeing someone on Instagram wearing an item of clothing they said never arrived. People and it's are my shameless. favorite story because it's just like freaking proof right there, man. Anyway, so, you know, we can, we, you know that's a favorite topic around uh, these here parts. So, Nikki, thank you so much. I had a blast. Thank you wonderful. so much. I learned so much as well. Like, I hope so. I feel like it's, like, so easy to just go off on tangents and, like, forget what you were I want to be your intern for the day and follow you around. Oh, please. And learn how to cut stuff. Figure out if I'm a good manager or not. <laughs> I'll give you a report at the end. She Seems Cool is brought to you by Anomi, an awesome boutique in San Francisco that I happen to own and work at and do all the buying for. I'm also the janitor. I'm also the security guard. Small business people. But you can also shop us online, www.shopanomi.com. And we always give a little treat to the listeners for getting all the way to the end of the podcast. So stay tuned. But first, I want to thank Nikki so much for coming on the podcast, taking her time during her busy schedule. I'm really impressed by everything that Nikki has done to build her brand to the point that it's at. She has put blood, sweat, and tears. She has gone through the education to have the background. She knows what she's doing. She has the technical skills, and it's just very impressive, and it shows in her pieces. So if you guys would love to purchase some First Right pieces, you absolutely should. The work jacket is my all-time favorite First Right piece. I own it in one, two, three three colors now and we've got some on the website you can use code episode five to get 20 percent off all first right pieces this includes fall 18 spring 19 and this is going to be valid for two months after the podcast is released so this offer will end in july it is special and exclusive to podcast listeners You know, how many people do you think actually listen after the cutout music at the end of a podcast? Pretty much nobody. So, you know, it's a special treat. And it's a great discount because this stuff is worth the price. I want to thank you guys so much for listening. And if this is your introduction to First Right, definitely go on our website, check out the clothing, go look at her lookbooks that we talked about. They're so beautifully shot. It's just so cohesive. It's so gorgeous. I can't you know, praise it enough. And if you're a first right lover, I hope that you got some cool insight into the background of one of your favorite clothing lines and congrats to Nikki as well. We didn't talk about on the podcast, but she was pregnant when we did the interview and she now has a baby girl, which I'm sure has been a huge element in work-life balance and wow, so much on her plate. So thank you so much, Nikki. Everyone have a great day.